welcome to Mommy. Miss Mama says bad words. Thanks for listening. See you next time. I, I did it. Good job. Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high-rise or low-rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. Welcome to season four of Mom Jeans. This season is called the Bite Size Education Series, where we give you quick bits of science and psychoeducation to help you in your journey towards body respect. This season, we will be answering your listener questions and interviewing amazing experts to expand your knowledge. So get ready for easily digestible, pun intended, pieces of education in podcast form. All right, welcome to this week's episode of Mom Jeans in our bite-sized education series. Ooh, today we are going to get a little into it, talking about how can we tell if my kids' eating behaviors are normal or question mark for possibly developing an eating disorder. I feel like we got a lot of awesome listener questions regarding this topic because people are confused and it's a pretty serious topic. So uh, we'll go ahead and read the listener question and then dive into some information regarding uh, normal eating behaviors and uh, signs that your child may be developing an eating disorder. All right, so the listener question is, Dear Mom Jeans, my daughter is not even a teenager yet, but is already starting to ask questions about why her body is shaped the way it is compared to her friends' bodies. She's worried about how her body looks in her bathing suit, will suddenly stop eating certain foods if she hears a commercial or a message that those foods are unhealthy, and asks me if she can start weighing herself. I try so hard to be positive, even though I don't love my body either. Should I be concerned she's developed an eating disorder? Love, concerned, Mom. I think what's interesting in this one too is she's not even a teenager yet and that is a sign that we are seeing uh, eating disorder behaviors or just body image related concerns starting earlier and earlier and that I think shows the fact that um, environmentally we are having discussions about the morality of food and nutrition earlier and earlier in our school systems and so it is a really challenging topic to start to navigate because children developmentally are not at the place where they can concretely understand certain concepts about nutrition. So the way they are absorbing the information and then trying to live it out is making them confused and then making parents concerned. 
So you bring up a really good point, Rachel, which is environment as the trigger, right? And so we'll definitely dive into that, talking about how environment influences our eating behaviors and or relationship with food in our bodies. But I feel like briefly touching on the genetic piece, and I want to let everyone know I am not a genetic expert. I am a dietitian, but this is typically how I explain genetics and environment to clients and parents so that it's an easily digestible form of information. But I use it as um, a gun analogy. I'm also not supporting any sort of gun whatever. I'm just using it as an analogy. Um, So Genetics are ultimately loading the gun and environment is pulling the trigger. Now, granted, people can have a genetic makeup that uh, has a gene for maybe an eating disorder or struggling with food or whatever it may be, and that switch be turned off their entire life or the switch be turned on and it not have to do anything with environment. So again, we're just using this really basic analogy so that those that are having environment trigger this genetic uh, predisposition, this can kind of help you wrap your mind around it. For a uh, less violent analogy, I'm just kidding. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, Okay, as the therapist here, Rachel here, um, I phrase it more as how we respond to stress and the coping skills that we have are both genetic and learned. So, our DNA and our genetics have a certain disposition in it. We have how we respond to stress and our go-to coping skills do have a genetic component in it. So since our relationship with food can be a coping skill for emotional distress, this is the piece that can be genetic and it can also be learned. So I think a lot of it is just how we respond to stressors and then is is a combination of the two things. Yeah, that, that makes helps. sense. That, that is definitely a less violent way. <laughs> Maybe it's because I've been living in Texas for too long and it's the guns are just everywhere. Anyways, anyways, back on track. So, I mean, you bring up a really good point, stress, how we cope with stress. And so I think it's really important to recognize that the home environment is this wonderful sanctuary for these little nuggets of humans, right? And so if... Because we have to recognize that our kids are going to get this messaging no matter what. They live in diet culture too. And so if they're getting it outside of the home and getting it inside of the home, then this is ultimately going to be setting them up to really develop these core beliefs. And so I really think it's important to set up the home environment to be as inclusive as possible. And we can kind of talk about what breaking that diet legacy looks like and what that could uh, be like for you. Yeah, the only thing you can control as the parent is your work. The work you are doing, the things you're saying around the table, whether or not you're weighing yourself and that's what your child is observing, how you're talking about your body, how you're talking about other people's bodies that are passing on the street. I think your work as the parent here is developing that environment for having conversations about some of these tough topics and breaking some legacies of how we talk about bodies and the hierarchy of bodies. Well, I think one thing that the listener question kind of hit on that I was like, ooh, there we go. You're you're kind of calling yourself out there is that I'm not even okay with my own body and now I'm concerned with my kids' struggle. And so I think it's just 
this parent really being vulnerable and saying, hey, I recognize I have my own work to do and I'm really trying to do this balancing act and that's really hard. So we totally get it. We understand the difficulty in all of this that we're all really trying to do our best. We're all doing our own work and that, you know, it, it just is super challenging. The other piece going back to the our um, analogy about the gut a little bit and my my reframe. Oh, you want to come back? Well, to my the gun. reframe about okay. food as a coping skill for emotional distress. I think a lot of times, even if you have a home where you are inclusive, you are not talking about necessarily food or bodies or anything like that. But a coping skill that you inherited or learned from your family dynamic and or your family of origin is that when you are extremely stressed, you tend not to eat. Or when you get really, really overwhelmed and you've had a rough day at work, you tend to eat in the evenings and that's what your child is seeing. I think, again, looking at how we use food as a coping skill, which that's, that's okay. Food is one of the things that we can use. It, it has emotional components, not just nutritional. But being mindful of how your relationship with food, because your kids are also observing that. It's just one other piece that you can work on in like yeah. a therapy setting. So I think it's like, okay, let's let's chat about some really tangible ways that we can kind of break that diet legacy within the home. If you're recognizing, wow, hey, I actually am concerned and the home environment isn't this safe environment that I want it to be, what would be some kind of tangible steps? We'll kind of go through that. So therapist Rachel... Okay, yeah, I can repeat it. Okay, so obviously doing the work yourself as the parent to make sure that your energy is in a, a safe space. Uh, we already talked about that. Uh, the second piece is really educating yourself on like what is diet culture? We talk about that word a lot. What is that? What does it mean? Um, and the nuanced ways that it comes up in your home, in your relationship with food in your body. There's amazing books and articles on the racist roots of diet culture, the oppressive systems that exist as a result of these diet culture messaging, and also how this is more than just like body acceptance, love my body. You know, I think a big piece of this is realizing this is about body respect. This is about body tolerance. There's a lot of education out there. There's a lot of amazing um, articles and books that we will link in the show notes for you to kind of look at this from a much more like academic lens of understanding that these are these are really deep systemic roots that go into our com- come out in our conversations. So if you could educate yourself on just the bigger picture, that might help you break down the conversations you're having in yeah. your home. And I think from a dietitian perspective, it's really remembering that like incorporating all foods and really trying not to create this diet culture messaging within the home around specific foods. So that may be changing the language around good, bad foods, changing the language you're communicating around your body. Like, ugh, I just feel so fat after that meal. Like, we, we don't want to say that. You can say, oh, my, my belly feels full and it feels like I nourished myself. And then go into therapy and talk about the relationship you're holding with your own body. Um, so I think it's just keeping a real neutral space I really believe in representation and how that really matters. And so we've talked about how making sure that you have different books and resources and uh, whatnot for that are available to you and your child. And, and if you go over to our Instagram page, we really have a lot of uh, book resources in our highlights that are designated for different age ranges. And then having really open conversations. Rachel go into the some of the therapeutic components. 
with that. But as far as food, you know, if your kid comes home and starts talking about how they learned some message at school that, quote unquote, sugar is bad or, um, you know, they're scared to be the O word or they came home and, and shared that someone called them fat, right? We can really hold these open conversations in this safe space and, and talk about how not everyone is in this inclusive space and how everyone doesn't believe in food neutrality or how there's different accessibility. Of course, tweaking the language per the age range of your child, but I feel like these open conversations and honest conversations are really what are super important. And I think assessing what's underneath your child's motivation for some of this, um, maybe changes in their relationship with food or the desire to weigh per the listener question. I think a big question could be asking a child like, hey, I'm noticing you're not eating your favorite foods anymore. Is everything okay? Do you wanna share with me what's going on? There's a variety of reasons why children might experiment with this. They might be able to tell you answers that align with body dysmorphia and then you know that maybe there is an eating disorder that's budding. They might have um, certain bullying experiences of eating those foods so then you might realize there's a social component that is the issue. Um, a lot of children also struggle with the sensory processing piece and they might just be struggling with the texture or the temperature of the food or something along those lines and you know that that's more than of a sensory processing issue. Um, I also see a lot of kids just say like, I just feel nauseous when I get really worried. And so a lot of parents will call feeling very concerned about having an eating disorder. And we end up looking at there's actually much more of an anxiety disorder that's going on. And that's it. The symptoms are being embodied. So asking some questions to the question about is this an eating disorder budding? Um, it might give you a little bit more insight about kind of the origins of it. So you can then tailor who you're reaching out to and then what resources you're accessing. And so kind of shifting gears off of that, and, and so our second episode this week is going to be interviewing a pediatric uh, doctor that's going to really talk about some of the medical pieces regarding eating disorders. But um, the one angle that I want to throw in here is making sure that you're the medical professional for your child, you're the advocate for your child, because Really, the reality is, is you you know your kid the best. And so you may go into a doctor if you don't have access to one that specializes in eating disorders or is a weight inclusive provider. And they may actually brush off what you're noticing or they may say a weight centric recommendation and recommend weight loss, which could be extremely harmful for a child or uh, praise the restriction. And so the most important piece is that based off of what Rachel was kind of saying is that you're noticing these trends that are changing. You're noticing that your kid is really acting different or bringing up different topics that are alarming to you and going into a doctor, a therapist, psychiatrist, whoever, and really trying to advocate for your child. Um, I think that's how there will be some movement here. Um, the other thing as a therapist we do in work in the eating disorder recovery is identifying exactly what is the underlying struggle or trigger that is leading people to use food to cope. So we look at what the unique personality is, what the emotional needs are, what it, needs are not being met, 
And then we help people kind of do the deeper work on healing those pieces so they don't use food anymore. So when it comes to parents and children, you know your child's unique personality. You know their emotional needs. And maybe if you can do a little bit of digging either with them or on their behalf as their parent and kind of figure out exactly what's going on in their life that's maybe been emotionally charged, Um, Maybe they need more emotional support so they're not using food. Maybe they've gone through some big changes, hello with COVID, or schools. Maybe you've moved recently. Maybe the child feels like they've lost control because something's gone on in the family dynamic that's really changed. Um, Maybe they're having some fear and anxiety about what's going on at school with peers. Uh, Maybe they've unfortunately been a victim of trauma or abuse. So there are some underlying things that you can potentially help tailor the, the support that they need, whether it's through therapy or even in your own home, helping them find the words and the language to identify their feelings, giving them journal assignments or art tools or activities or sports or something where it feels like emotionally some need is being met. Um, that is kind of some of that bigger picture work that potentially you as a parent could do as well. And I know this is kind of slightly off topic, but it's related to kids not really having the words to communicate and or even the smallest of changes can really throw their entire life off. We had some visitors in town once, you know, things started kind of lifting. I know now they're kind of closing back up, but once things started lifting, everyone wanted to come visit, which is really fun and exciting. And my husband and I were really excited, but it was really overwhelming for Henry. And I didn't realize it was overwhelming until the point where he started to have some sleep regression. And I'm like, why is this kid that normally sleeps from seven to seven, no issues, waking up in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., 4 a.m., wanting to come into bed with me and sleep. It was him communicating that I'm tired, right? I'm having too much stimulation from all these people coming in and out of my environment. Now, I would like him to be able to adapt to that, but also at the same time, it was like, wow, okay, this is his form of communication because he really lacks these skills, I know that doesn't have anything to do with eating disorders, but I think really remembering that our little our little children don't have they don't their brains aren't fully developed. So we may see that someone's restricting out food or shifting their focus onto their body and it really could have to do with something bigger, some big transition, some chaos, all the factors that Rachel was talking about. And eating disorders have been up 70% since COVID. Wow. It's been such a go-to response in teenagers especially, but also younger than teens and older than teens, to take all that overwhelm and the out-of-control feelings and the loss of everything that was their identity, their school, their peers, their sports, their hobbies and everything, and feel like I'm going to try to control my food now because that gives me a distraction. It gives me something to focus on, something goals to set around. And so we have actually seen this play out during COVID-19. But for even if, you know, your child didn't have that reaction to COVID, if your child is having reactions to other transitions, that's exactly that same theme there and that concept there. So this is why having the team, you have your pediatrician, you have your therapist, and you have your dietitian is all really helpful resources to helping you figure out exactly what's going on with your child. So again, reminder, for more resources, you can head over to our Instagram page, check out our highlights for different books uh, that you can 
uh, have with your kids. There's also, we also recommend going over to the NIDA website, which we'll link in our show notes for more statistics and education around eating disorders. We look forward to um, y'all tuning in later this week for our interview with Dr. Monge. Thanks for joining. That's a wrap on this episode of the Bite Size Education Series, and we hope this new information provides you with a more critical lens when you hear mainstream diet culture messaging. You can connect with us on social media, on Instagram, at Podcast. And feel free to email your own listener questions to momjeanesthepodcast at gmail.com. If you loved the episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes and recommend the episode to a friend. Sending you the inner strength to accept your jeans with a G and wear the jeans with a J. Bye. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mommy. See you next time.